You're listening to Crunch, a podcast by award-winning New Zealand PR agency, HMC. Crunch stands for Crucial Chats Over Lunch. These are bite-sized discussions for business leaders that can easily be digested over your lunch hour, your morning commute, or whenever you listen to your favorite podcast. Crunch tackles a variety of topics to help business leaders build their knowledge in strategic communication and public relations. I'm your host, Mark Hunter, and it's my privilege to welcome you into Crunch. Well, welcome to another episode of Crunch. Today, we are talking about the power of third-party endorsement. Now, third-party endorsement is effectively this, when someone whose opinion you trust speaks well about someone else or something else. And third-party endorsement and influences, that's the, really the, the focus of today, have been around since, well, humanity started talking, really. Joining me today um, is a couple of experts who are going to who really know about this place of third-party endorsement and particularly about um, the role of the influencer. And I have with me our guest, special guest, Zoe Virtue, who is the head of Group Social at DDB Group and Mango Communications. Zoe, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Also joining me today from HMC, the PR firm, is our Managing Director, Heather Claycomb. Heather, welcome again. Hello. And we also have here the Digital PR Content Coordinator, Jamie Batters. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's good to have you. All right. Let's talk about third-party endorsement. It has evolved exponentially since the advent of the internet. And the one key aspect we're looking at this morning is the rise of the influencers and their PR power. Before we get into talking about that, can we talk about the public relations strategy? How is third-party endorsement being used strategically in a PR sense? What is the power of third-party endorsement? Maybe we could start with the PR firm first. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm um, happy to kick that off. Yeah. Third-party endorsement is something that, you know, it's been a strategy since the, the dawn of PR, really. And it's really exactly what you were saying, you know, getting someone to, to talk about your product or you as a person is much more powerful than you doing it. When you think about, you know, what is third-party endorsement, it could be something as simple as, you know, getting a customer to talk about how great you are. Or if you're a politician, you know, getting someone powerful to say, I back them as a politician. Or it's as simple as, you know, you go to buy something online, where's the first place you go to see if you want to buy it? You go to the customer reviews. That's a third-party endorsement as well. The thing about third-party endorsement too, it can be paid and unpaid, I think. And so we'll probably, you know, be talking about that a little bit today as well. Jamie, you got anything to add to that? I guess, again, something that we're going to touch on later is sort of evolution of third-party endorsement, particularly with uh, social media and the internet and the sort of evolution from what once we would have seen as perhaps a really famous person on TV saying, I love this product, to maybe the mega influencer that we saw five or six years ago to now the micros who are saying, you know, giving their endorsement to their little really engaged communities. So all very interesting stuff. All right, so we're going to throw this totally your way now because there is that very, very specialised type of third-party endorsement, the influencer. And you go back, I don't know, 10 years ago, you would have heard the term. I don't even think it was on my radar. So the idea of an influencer, can you just unpack that a bit, right? Because while most of us have heard of it, we've probably got something like the Kardashians in mind, and I suspect it's a bit broader than that. Over to you. Define it. Tell us how it's sort of come about maybe the role of the influencer now? 
Yeah, cool. So I think the biggest shift, I guess, well, what we've seen with the rise of the social media influencer is, in fact, social media. To hear this point, like, you know, to your point, we've always used influential people in some sort of way, you know, like for the Kiwis, you know, you cast your mind back to the, was it the 80s or the 90s, Rachel Hunter and the tip top kind of famous tip top ice cream TV ad. And so we've always used these kind of celebrity influential people in our marketing and PR and communications, but it's really been social media in the last kind of decade that's really changed the game and paved the way and created this new term, you know, influencer or social media influencer. And so I guess that has enabled pretty much anybody to amass an audience and create their own channel, if you will, and grow a following, if you will, on social media. So I think the poster child in New Zealand for influencer marketing, I mean, you mentioned Kardashians, but if you bring it locally, um, someone like Simone Anderson is a beautiful example where she you know, just started documenting her weight loss journey on Instagram, I think it was, maybe even Facebook ages ago, and has now grown that following to over 300,000 followers on Instagram. So that's the power of social media um, where anybody can tap into it. So what that has meant, though, is, you know, the evolution of influencer marketing. We've seen a bit of a categorization, if you will, of influencers. So I think it's it's no longer fair just to talk about influencers. And a lot of them would probably, you know, say the same thing. We talk about micro and macro influencers. And again, this, what I'm about to say, is quite nuanced to the New Zealand market, which is tiny in comparison to even Australia or, you know, the United States or the UK. A micro influencer in New Zealand, we categorize having between 5,000 and 30,000 followers. You can even talk about nano-influencers. You know, we're all nano-influencers. If you talk about a product on your social, you're a nano-influencer. And then the the macro-influencers within New Zealand, we look to have about 30,000 to 100,000 plus followers. If you look in Australia, they categorize their micros as having anything under 100,000 followers. So it's quite a different kind of scale. Oh gosh, okay. But yeah, but in New Zealand, I mean, we've got a handful of people with over 100,000 followers. So, you know, if we were looking at that kind of categorization, you know, you wouldn't have very many macros to play with. And then kind of outside of those more classic micro-macro influences, you've then got uh, what we call content creators who see themselves as quite different as influencers. They can kind of cross over into that territory a little bit, but often these guys are photographers, videographers, you know, passionate about creating great content, comedic skit kind of content creators. I think TikTok's really paved the way for a whole bunch of new type of content creators who aren't just kind of influential for having an opinion about something, but you know, actually talented at creating content. And we tend to work with these people quite differently, again, from your classic influencer. Um, And then the fourth category that we've kind of created um, would be those more, I guess, non-social or offline influencers, uh, tend to be celebrities, you know, sports stars, athletes are massive in this category, musicians, actors, these that tend to have, I guess, influence and are really well known outside of social. But obviously, you know, they start an Instagram account and all of a sudden they've got 150,000 followers kind of overnight. And so then working with them is completely different again. Okay. Hey, so types of influencers, I've got no uh, practical skills whatsoever, but I've um, been forced into building garden boxes. All right, now, so I'm going online. I'm finding Mitre 10. I've got this, I don't know his name. I should know his name. We'll just call him Jack. So Jack is, he just puts out, or Mitre 10, put out all these videos 
on how to get stuff done. I know what they're doing. They're selling product, right? It's mine to 10. But it's all this free stuff. And I have built these six meter long garden boxes. Is he, they, my to 10, can they become a type of influencer by simply putting out great content or is, or is that a different kind of thing? I would say that's a different kind of thing. That's a smart content strategy. Okay. They've got, how can we get people engaging with us online and right. um, amassing a community online? Let's provide utility content. So this is often a really great strategy for brands. I, I guess just putting out content down to the ether right now is a terrible strategy. So actually having a bit more of a strategic approach, like Mitre 10, where they create useful how-to educational videos that people can go and find. And then once they've used them, they'll keep coming back over and over and hopefully see all the great Mitre 10 products and then go in and buy from them. Um, whoever's featured in it, I guess, you know, talent, obviously they probably want to have some form of credentials that they know how to build a garden box. <laughs> but whether or not the people, the talent in that are influential, I'm not sure matters so much. I think a, an extra layer of, layer of strategy would be potentially bringing in like a, a known person, let's say, Mark Richardson, he was on the block, right? So maybe he could come in and actually feature as a bit of a guest in some of this content. Then you could actually then use that content on his own channels if he has a good social channel or use his face on some EDMs or another piece of content elsewhere. I think that's when you start to elevate the content and utilize an endorsement person or an influencer beyond just that owned channel strategy. Why does this work? Clearly it does work because you've got just everybody wants to be an influencer. You just see so many people having a go at it. So it works. What is it about human beings that simply watching what is effectively a complete stranger? We're never going to meet the Kardashians or whoever else, low level. They are strangers. And yet I might alter my behavior in my buying or something. How come? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. I think the rise of reality TV gives us a pretty good clue. I think as humans, we're just naturally really interested in the lives of other people, whether they're celebrity or whether they're just your neighbor. Um, and social and a lot of the different ways of creating social content now, like a lot of the live streaming and the Instagram stories, that ephemeral content, that's a snapshot of what's what you're doing right now. I guess it's just really intriguing to people. The rise of the macro influencer of WAGs, you know, the, the All Blacks wives, that, that's a really interesting realm because these guys, you know, I, I guess you just get to a little bit of insight into what it's like to be the wife of Bowden Barrett um, and what her life is like and as humans we're just really interested and curious as to how other people are living their life and I guess there's a bunch of humans out there that are really up for sharing you know every innate detail of their lives and so just like reality how we get hooked on that same reality show we just get hooked on kind of watching this person live their life and find it interesting and also, I guess, coming back to that, you know, what you said, the restart, Heather, around the power of third-party endorsement, the influence and the word of mouth, you know, I guess this is where influences work really well is, you know, where we get kind of endorsement or recommendation from friends and family, and usually a review will be a way that we kind of go, right, I'm going to go try that product. Now we're following all these people who we just really like. And we may not be friends with them in real life, but, you know, I guess we kind of are watching what they're doing. And so the moment they are like, yeah, I really love this product. Look at how much it's changed my skin or, you know, I love this phone. Look at me kind of use it and how it makes my life better. That is the power of endorsement that we're then 
think, okay, yeah, I'm going to go try this product too. And that's, I guess, the key difference on social of like the power of that influencer and that piece of content versus, as you've said again, Heather, from the horse's mouth, it's not quite as powerful. Yeah. And I think like the rise of that influencer is, has changed as social media has changed. I think like, I think back to like our clients, you know, when Facebook first started, you know, they were trying to figure out how to get on there and the, the content was very corporate and it was very planned and, you know, beautiful imagery. And there's probably, there's some brands that are still doing that. But, um, I think, you know, the way that things that have evolved pretty rapidly over the last couple of years, especially with TikTok is you're in people's living rooms. You're walking with them on the street and and social media is social I think we forget that you know and so we do enjoy just seeing how other people are living so I think there's power when a brand can tap into that you know so yeah it's just interesting to have watched it over the years evolve that way Definitely. And I think that as consumers, we're all pretty tired of the hard sell. And it's something that we have been seeing for ever. And I think that's what's so good about influencers and third-party endorsement is, I mean, people can sniff out a sale really quickly. And I guess that's the importance of authentic partnership is if you are working and making smart strategic partnerships with people that align with your brand and your wider goals, it doesn't feel like a hard sell because it is a natural extension of this person's values, brands, interests, etc., which likely appeals to the people that they attract on their social platforms. All right. Hey, well, listen, since we're now talking about partnerships between brands and influencers, real people, what are some examples of relationships between a brand and an influencer that have worked just oh so well? Example you mentioned before, Zoe, was Rachel Hunter, right? Who was the ice cream girl. And then uh, what was that thing about her hair? It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. How unreal is this, right? That ad's got to be about 15 years old. And I still know that line. It won't happen overnight. But Rachel says it will happen. Anyway, what are some good brand influencer partnerships that we know of? Uh, yeah, I'm happy to kick this off. I think obviously just with my own experience within um, what we do at Mango. So one of our kind of key clients that we've worked with probably with influencers for about six or seven years now would be McDonald's New Zealand. And so that's a long partnership. And obviously with any kind of client dipping their toes in the waters with influencers, it did start quite campaign by campaign, we'll just give it a whirl. They can talk about this product a couple of times and just see how it goes. With the evolution of that, where they've kind of seen the power of it, built it into a bigger integrated campaign structure, and I guess started to build really trusted relationships, it's evolved to a really kind of dynamic program. So we now have, as well as these campaign spikes, an always-on kind of layer of influencer partners, if you will. And obviously, believable partnerships, you know, people that actually like Maccas and like to talk about Maccas, because it can be, you know, some people have got quite strong opinions about a product like Maccas. And that is a partnership now. We just see some of the content just work beautifully. So we have this always-on layer with really trusted relationships where I guess the client kind of goes, yep, you know what you're talking about. You understand your audience and you understand your channel. And so they're really trusted to just create content that's really true to them. So we've seen, we've got a partner on TikTok and 
and his organic content just blows up and goes viral and um, will get views anywhere between kind of 30,000 to 5 million on bits of content. And it's just, um, you know, branded, you know, feel good, ha ha content that just relates. And we've just got to a really harmonious place where the, the client just trusts the partner that they know what they're doing. And so it's that relationship. And, and with the kind of journey that um, the partner's been able to go on with the brand, their audience is now really open to anything that they have to say about the brand and product. So it doesn't feel like an ad and it doesn't feel forced, but, you know, he can be really overt about the partnership and it's just part of his natural ongoing content. So Mm. it's just a great example of, you know, how it really continues to work well. One influencer that comes to my mind is HMC has not been involved in these relationships, but several of our clients are in the ag industry and they've used a guy, Kane Briscoe. I don't know if you've heard of him, Zoe, but he's partnering with several different brands and he's he's a farmer. So he's on the farm and he's using these um, products and talking about them and it's very natural. And and again, um, as Zoe was talking about with Macca's, with Kane, a lot of those brands that are using him have used him for many years now. So it becomes, yeah, that really great partnership, really natural um, it's not forced. It's not looking like like an ad. So that's um, worked yes. really well for some of our ad clients. Yeah. I mean, in an mm. ideal world, you're partnering with people that are already using the product. Yes. That's the ideal. And I think often now we look for, and we have these relationships with the talent agencies because most of um, New Zealand influencers are actually working with talent agents. And so we have these ongoing kind of meetings with talent agents to be like, what's going on with all of your talent's lives? Are they having a baby? Are they getting married? Are they moving house? Are they renovating? So we can actually look for really authentic moments in their lives that we can go actually great. Oh, you're renovating or you're upgrading your house you know, how about we work with, you know, a tech brand and we can supply the TVs or, you know, so it's a natural kind of discoverable moment where they could actually be looking at something and learning about something and then starting to use the product. I think those are the kind of um, where we see the best kind of success and most authentic content happening. Yeah. I, <laughs> Jamie, would, I was didn't tell her I was going to do this, but she's um she's becoming a, a little bit of a nano influencer on TikTok. Kind of she, no, she's doing a really good job. But I think like just talking about what you do, Jamie, is that you know you love your shopping and you love like, um, going here and there. And I think you've been so genuine that it has just naturally organically led to you know some brands saying, "Hey, would you mind just you know showing off some of our stuff?" And yeah, and it's just been re- like a really natural start. It hasn't been really, again, a a forced thing. So No, I agree. And I guess like the nature of my content is it's a really good snippet into my life and people do feel, especially because I am very small, it is a community. I know every single person who views my story (laughs) I mean, on my videos. Like I I see them and I keep up and I make the note like, oh, that's nice. Such and such is watching again. And I I think they feel like they know me because in a way they they do. And so if I say, oh, I really like this, it's because I really do. The, the benefit of the mini influencer is that at this point there's no real obligation and it is authentic and it's authentic connections that has been attracting a good little community of people. So, yeah, nice. I can add to just the, the power of the micro. So, you know, that's where we do see really high engagement. So, you know, that's where it's a smaller audience, but it tends to be more niche. It's more niche kind of content focus. And therefore, you've got a bunch of people that are really interested in those specific niches. So we do find that, you know, we talk about, you know, working with an army of micros can be really powerful because that can give you a really broad audience across a multitude of different, you know, micro influences that are then going to give you really high engagement. So, it's a really powerful play to actually work with, you know, a bunch of micro influencers. 
That raises another question. There are obviously good examples of brands that have aligned themselves with an influencer and it really works. The connection, the relationship works. And there'd be examples when it crashes and burns. Actually, do you have any interesting examples? Can we think of any where we go, oh, man, that didn't work out? I don't think, can't think of anything very specific. But from a consumer perspective, it is so blaringly obvious when someone, there's a partnership where it does not align with the creator. You know, if you see someone who, for example, using the McDonald's example, if I had like a Fitzbo influencer who was no, like only um, refined sugar-free, only gluten-free, I'm vegan. If that, if they were to go and then promote um, the McDonald's Big Mac as the audience, you're going to go, <laughs> well, okay, where's this come <laughs> yeah, from? Yeah. And also, oh, this has impacted the way I feel about this influencer because I thought they aligned with my... I don't know, clean eating values that I have. And that's a very plain example. But as someone, especially in the digital space, when you watch them, it just, it doesn't feel natural. Mm. And that can be off-putting for not only the people who are interested in the creator, but also people who might have been interested in the brand. If I see like lazy partnerships, I'm kind of like, oh, Mm. eh, maybe not. Maybe I'll find an alternative that's more thoughtful. What do you think, Zoe? Yeah. How do you find the right person? How do brands find... I'd like, to, I'd like to hear Zoe's few examples of mm. when she's seen it gone oh. wrong. <laughs> I don't have an, a, an exact brand example. I, yeah, I hate to name names, but I, I have seen a lot of really just bad examples, particularly overseas, where I think you get big celebrities or big influencers that just want the massive paycheck. So they'll get paid 150 grand to do a one-off post and it's static feed post and it's you know, a specifically, I think I saw Scott Disick. So this is an ex- Yes, I was thinking of that one. Yeah, who did it? I think it was a protein powder. Like he's not known as a gym guy or like health buff or anything like that. And he literally, it was a somebody had taken a photo in his kitchen. The product is sitting in its container. It comes in. It's not even got a shake just in front of him. He's just kind of standing over it. He's not smiling, wearing a hat, like so it's all dark. And it was just terrible like there was nothing about it that had any sort of thought or care factor or you know and you could kind of see for somebody who's got I think over a million followers I think it only got a couple of thousand likes so you can immediately see that it's just not hit at all so in that kind of instance the the brand's gone okay we'll just you've got a massive audience we'll use you as a media channel and we haven't thought anything past that point you know they've not gone okay well how can we create some actually nice content that feels like the right fit That's a great point. And I've seen one of the Kardashian husbands who he copy and pasted it directly from the the person they were working with. And it was like, copy as follows. And then the, the copy. I think, that, I think that might have been Scott as <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, it probably was. Not to dogpile on Scott. Um, <laughs> yes, but, so you know, I think when you work with people who actually genuinely like what you are putting out there, yeah. you're going to want to do it justice. Mm. And, and I mean, different Levels are going to have different levels of effort and energy into it. But if you genuinely like it, you're going to want to do a good job. Whereas if you don't really care for the product or the service or the brand, some people might not bring that same energy. So Mm. I guess that's when it's done really well. It's just that perfect alignment. And you're like, yeah, it makes sense. Again, going back to that third-party endorsement, like we, it doesn't happen a lot, but we still have clients come to us and they, and, you know, sometimes they ask, you know, do you think we can get so and so saying something great about us, you know? But they see the power of whether they have, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers or whatever. But yeah, it's an old way of doing things. It's just not authentic. All right. So 
there are people listening in, Zoe, and um, businesses, and they may be even considering whether at some lower level, perhaps, to have an influencer involved to help the business. What are some keys to finding the right person? So I always encourage or actually stop people from jumping to, okay, who do we partner with? I think like any good brief, a comms brief, a marketing brief, any sort of brief, you need to kind of start with, okay, what are we trying to achieve with this activity? Once we kind of clearly define what those objectives are, that's going to help to start make us think about, okay, well, who are we talking to? What are we actually trying to achieve? Is it awareness? Is it consideration? Is it actually getting someone to swipe up and purchase a product? Setting that very first and foremost is then going to help us start to think about, okay, well, what type of content do we then need to be creating to actually do, you know, hit that objective? Because again, you've got different types of people that will create different types of content that will actually drive that action. At that point as well, you really need to understand who you're trying to talk to. So the target audience is really important with thinking about, okay, for example, if you're trying to target the household shopper, I think the quintessential or stereotypical household shopper is, you know, a female, maybe mid-30s. And so where are those females in mid-30s predominantly consuming content? It's probably Instagram, a little bit of TikTok, but mostly Instagram, a lot of Instagram stories, Instagram reels. And then, yeah, you look at exactly what kind of content are they consuming. And so it's not really until you start to figure these kind of components out and start to build a bit of a strategic approach to your content and channel that then at that point you can start to go, okay, well, these are the types of people that are on these platforms that are creating content like that, that we know have an audience predominantly of females in the household shopper kind of demographic. And because, I guess, with Mango, we've been doing this for a decade, we really understand the landscape. So as we start to build out the strategy, we already kind of know the potential people that are starting to fall into this right kind of strategy. Um, but we do have then have tools at, at our kind of disposal, relationships with talent agents. We use a piece of software, third-party piece of software called Clear, which helps to hunt and search for different influencers and look at their broader networks um, to start to populate a long list, if you will. And so we'll start to then formulate a bit of a long list, which at that point we then take to our client and say, right, this is what we believe is the right strategic approach. This is the right type of content. This is the right channel. And these are the types of people we think will do a good job for this. And it's the mm. right kind of alignment. Um, and it's only at that point that, you know, we take something to a client and we start to work with them around who do you think's right? Um, and often at that point, I've got to stop people bringing their personal bias into things. <laughs> That's a massive one, like with influencer marketing, like people have got an opinion and they really like someone or they really don't like someone. And that's kind of stopped a lot of partnerships happening, which can be really frustrating because, you know, people are missing out on potential great opportunities and partnerships because they're letting their own, I don't like that person, they annoy me, get in the way of mm. you know, some really good marketing. And then it's at that point that we would start to really dive into the analytics of an influencer. So stats are super important. Uh, we live in a world of fake followers, fake engagement, really overpriced content for people that just don't have an authentic following. And it's getting harder and harder to spot. Uh, but we now apply media metrics and measurements to everything that we do. So we will actually look at this point of the process at um, you know what their engagement rate is. We'll start to look at what their CPM or CPV might be. So we're starting to bring in actual media metrics into um, trying to set up and establish what our return on investment is going to be and whether or not that partner 
does meet all the criteria of good alignment, good brand fit, right type of content, but also are they actually going to deliver return on investment? Given that you drill down into all these metrics and they are, they all sound online metrics, is there still a place then for a celebrity or a person who, great fit, they love the brand, personality's right, but they're kind of an offline person. They may post Facebook now and then. Is there a place for them still in this influencer world? Absolutely. So I guess this is that next kind of category or the fourth category of influential people. And I think when you're looking for a big endorsement power or like a trusted person or an ambassador level person, I think, was it Richie McCaw was voted trusted New Zealander how how many years ago? So, Mm -hmm. you know, that person is somebody that brings such a level of endorsement to such a big group of Kiwis. And so using him in a way across a multitude of comms, you know, you start to bring that ambassador into um, your whole media mix. So he might be the face of a TVC. I think we see that with Dan Carter and the Chemist Warehouse. But, you know, face of the TVC, he's on billboards, he's in our EDM, um, he might be within our own social content. But equally, these people generally can start an Instagram and just amass this huge following. So you would then work with them in their social channel for their reach and their endorsement. Um, Usually their own content creation ability is not as strong. So then it's just thinking about how you work with them. And look, and their pay packet, like the the amount that you would pay to work with something like that is often, you know, really high, but you're paying for that endorsement factor from them. You know, that's a big amount that you would be paying um, mostly for the endorsement factor more so than anything else. And so I guess that's where it also varies. The fees vary across different influencer categories as you're paying for different things, you know, content creators, you're paying for maybe a bit of their media channel, but mostly paying for their content creation ability. Macro influencers, you're paying for their endorsement and their media channel. Micro influencers, you're probably paying for not so much them as a media channel, but them more so as an endorser, like a little bit of their media channel, but in their content creation ability. So it kind of really comes back to what are you trying to achieve? And therefore, who is actually the right person to meet your objectives? It's very similar to what a lot of what we're doing with our clients that we call offline and certainly non-paid in that third-party endorsement sort of field. I mean, you know, we are doing a lot of um, just simply, you know, customer testimonials or case studies. And again, like what Zoe was saying at the start of this, you know, it's about getting that great word of mouth going. So we might say, you know, hey, we want to sell more calf feed in Southland. What kind of, you know, would we know a Southland farmer that's using our product? Let's feature them in a customer testimonial and get get that out online. So that would be sort of like a non-paid sort of thing. Or And it doesn't have to even be something that you and I would even see evidence of a brand doing, you know, in terms of like, third-party endorsement. It just might be, hey, we need to go meet with the city councillors and get a champion there who really understands what we're doing with a, a development in Hamilton. And so that when they're out and about networking in Hamilton, they can you know, speak with confidence and positivity about what we're trying to do as a developer. So that's like, you know, a totally different than, than the majority of what we're talking about today. But um, I guess some, just something to keep in mind. I guess that's almost another category of influencer again, yes. and they can be offline. But equally, I think um, like in the Chinese influencer marketing space, they talk about KOLs. Mm. So these are just like these massive people that are key opinion leaders will often have big social followings as well as be u- utilized offline as well. Now, most of the people listening in are not going to engage with an influencer. Some yeah. will, most will not. But or they, they might dabble, but just not yeah, like yeah, part yeah, of their yeah. strategy. Yeah. But, but, but third-party influencers or endorsements 
is more likely there's something they can all tap into. Now, I think there'll be some crossover in principles or um, in learnings from, say, the influencer world, things that cross over nicely into third-party endorsement. For instance, we've already said a bunch of times that uh, authenticity is big. Big as an influencer, but big for every kind of third-party endorsement. Are there other sort of commonalities? One thing that I was thinking about is, you know, a great influencer is great at, most of them great at entertaining, but telling a good story, and whether that's a story about how the product or the service or whatever they're promoting has sort of influenced their daily lives and that sort of thing. So I think, you know, being a good storyteller is important with some of the, some of the third-party endorsement stuff that we do. You know, that comes back to what I was talking about earlier with the case studies or customer testimonials, that sort of thing. So it's like building a story around the people that you choose sometimes is, mm. is, is really good. And people also, and, and different levels of influence have different sort of tools and ways in which they do this, but the way that they tell their stories can be so different. But again, it goes back to if that is a natural pairing for them as a person and the brand, especially with the sort of evolution of the social media influencer and, you know, as I was saying about you're paying for their content, but also their channel, like their media space, mm. essentially. And I think what's really interesting is the evolution of like, it's not um, just about, oh, this is great. A brand has approached me as an influencer, for example, um, but the brand that you have as a person that is beyond just A, B and C, like mm. you you are a brand, people have personas and those really nice pairings are really interesting to see and see how they grow. I think to build on that as well, I think working with people not in silo is really key, using them online or in other kind of activity. But I think the best kind of influencer or use of endorsement um, that we are seeing now for marketing and comms is actually the utilisation of this person across a multitude of different ways, different channels, and also talking about different parts of their business. So big corporates, you know, I think this happens a lot where internally they're super siloed and so often you see them kind of doing siloed activity and that is a quite a disjointed story to your point Heather Mm -hmm. Um, and so actually the smart corporations are saying okay well actually let's partner off with this person who can turn up to this event you know live a live speaking event or they can be our kind of PR expert on a TV show um, and then they might do a little bit of social content over here and then they might turn up in an EDM and I think that's a much more powerful use of endorsement person and a really strong example of of a good relationship, an enduring relationship. I guess an example of that doing that offline might be, you know, having a partnership with someone and like, again, going back to sort of our ag clients, you know, do you take them on a road show with you around the country to talk to farmers or, you know, so they're seeing them um, at your stand at field days or, you know, whatever. So it's it's online and offline. I think another thing that's that brands who work with influencers do really well that we can take away as a, as a lesson offline as well is, is it's not just about you know, one or two people, but thinking about, and I think this is something you you and I were talking about, Jamie, um, having some diversification, particularly if you're um, not a very niche brand, you know, think about your total audience, you know, what appeals to young, what appeals to old, what appeals to um, people of different ethnicities and that sort of thing. And because you, you know, the power of, of word of mouth is not just when one person's talking about it, but the whole community is talking about how, how great you are. Would you agree with that, Zoe? Definitely. I think diversity is so important um, in this day and age. And a lot of brands get called out really publicly when they're mm. not 
properly diversifying. And again, it's coming back to who we're trying to talk to, you know, the comms that we're doing and the people we work with should reflect our target audience. So that just, you know, that makes sense that, again, marketers and comms specialists, again, taking your personal bias and your own subjectivity out of the thing, but actually thinking about what's going to actually appeal and who's going to appeal to everyone we want to talk to is going to help make for good influence marketing. I agree. And I think that consumers really have no time for businesses that don't do that because, as a consumer, I want to see authentic diversification. I want to see, I don't want to see five people that all look the same and then one more that's been tacked on the end. It's about embedding that from the start and going, we want to give a really well-rounded pool of endorsers and doing that from the beginning. Because you see people that do it the wrong way. It looks so wrong. And um, as Zoe said, it's always a very public call out and that's always interesting to see that unfold. So you may as well do it right from the start. Another point I was going to say is actually um, collaborating properly with your endorser. So we've seen a lot of bad examples where the client just wants to control the output or the involvement of that endorser too much and it looks so forced you know it's too scripted and it's not natural but actually if you get the person involved and collaborate with the event that they're going to you know help host or the social content they're going to create or the tvc ad you know that's when actually the content feels so much better and actually hits way better a great example recently um, we worked with via ddb stephen adams the basketballer for meadow fresh Oh, yeah, the milk ad. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, he was in a TVC. It's some social content. There's a blooper reel on social, and it's just so in his style. And the creatives within DDB worked with him around, okay, we want this to feel like proper content by you, not that you're just a the walking, talking puppeteer that we're scripting. And the content just feels great. Like, it, it works really well. So however you're using an endorser, actually getting them involved in that process, it works really well. Nice. I was just thinking about risk <laughs> and how, I mean, even before social media, you know, there was always risk for brands that were collaborating with a celebrity, for instance, you know. So it'd be interesting to hear from you, um, Zoe, since you're deep into this, you know, how do you, first of all, I guess, do really great research on the person? And then how do we put mitigation plans around it if something goes horribly wrong? That is a really interesting one, because at the end of the day, you're working with humans and mm -hmm. You know, you can't control, if you partner up with someone for a month, three months, six months, you know, you can put in as many clauses as you like in a contract. You can't control what they get up to in their personal lives as much as some brands like to try to do that. Um, I think in terms of looking back, we often run police checks on mm. talent. And there are a certain number of brands who that's a part of, you know, the deal. If you want to work with them, there has to be a police check run on them to make sure They've got a, I guess, a clean slate, if you will. And then we build in, yeah, I guess, terms and conditions if, you know, they can't be seen to be drinking something or acting in a certain way whilst consuming a product. You know, we kind of build that into the contract. I know that we've pulled contracts when clauses have been missed um, or when somebody's kind of gone against clauses. We've just literally pulled the contract, gotten the item back, and then that's that kind of thing. We don't work with them again. But I guess that is, uh, there's an element of risk of working with people. And you've just got to hope that they're professional enough, I suppose, to um, prioritise, you know, what they've agreed to and the commitment and act professional. But again, because of the world of influencer at such a big scale from really, well, we, you know, amateur people that don't really know what they're doing, like they're a bit more high risk. 
versus those that are professional, you'd like to think that they're going to, you know, carry themselves in a way that's going to be a low risk situation. But yeah, it's a tricky one. Like we have tried to push big corporates to be like, hey, this you're trying to talk to a younger audience. You're doing all this amazing influencer work. How cool would it be to actually bring this influencer into your TVC or into your point of sale in store? And it's actually stopped at that point because they're like, oh, we can't work with them as talent. What happens if, you know, they're on our TVC that we want to use for a year, but then in six months they've caught drink driving or something. And it's such an interesting discussion because I, I guess because it would be so much more in the public, that's where they go, we don't want to potentially risk that. But, I mean, the same could happen with paid acting talent. Mm. Um, I guess it would just be less public if, if they were caught drink driving, for example. All right, ladies, that's all we've got time for uh, in our latest episode of Crunch. But because Crunch is crucial chats over lunch, we're going to finish with a lunch-themed quickfire question. Here's the question, all about quick lunches. When you don't have time for a long lunch, it is a quick, on-the-go, grab-a-lunch, what's your go-to? And before you answer... There's no judgment here, right? And what's said on the podcast stays on the podcast. (laughs) So if you want to grab a dirty meat pie, you can do it. But when you've got no time, it's on the go, what's your go-to lunch? Well, the first thing that came to mind is when they're in season, This, you might think this is really weird, but I love to cut an avocado in half, salt, and then lots of balsamic vinegar, and then I eat it with a spoon. Oh, I love that. Okay, that's all right. That sounds even healthy. Yeah, very healthy, very rogue. (laughs) Mine is not that exciting. I'll just go and there's a uh, cafe underneath us, cream, um, and they've got awesome salads there and good sandwiches as well. Or if I'm really um, out of luck, I'll just go into the food court, go to Tank or something, something <laughs> easy. Still healthy though. Oh, man, it doesn't have to be healthy. Anyway, Zoe, <laughs> go to. I've got two. It depends on the situation. So if I'm like still, okay, I just need something, but I'm bringing it from home and I don't have time to even leave the building, I do dunch. This is something that's kind of coined. It is like, you know, your leftovers, but with a a can of tuna, a can of sea lord tuna, hopefully, um, where you just usually it's some leftover rice or pasta, bit of spinach leaves, mix in the tuna and A for away. It's great. But if I'm not kind of vibing that or I don't have that to bring in from home, Maccas is across the road. Oh, <laughs> dangerous. Here we go. Finding some honesty from someone. Yeah. <laughs> I literally went there yesterday for lunch. They had a deal. It was like free nuggets for the day, <laughs> free six-pack of nuggets. So there was a whole bunch of us, a stream of, from the building going over <laughs> our free nuggets for lunch. So that's, you know, quick and easy and pretty good. Mm. Maybe that can nice. be my quick lunch today. Yeah. We're close to our Maccas as well. You've inspired me, Zoe. (laughs) All right. Hey, Zoe Virtue, fantastic name. Keep the name. Thank you so much for your time. Um, It's been very insightful, and I I really hope and I think that um, people listening in will have got a lot out of it. Mm. Heather, as always, it's a pleasure. Jamie, good to see you again. That's it for our time on the latest episode of Crunch. Stay in touch. We'll be back soon with another episode that covers PR and marketing. Have great days. Thanks for joining us for the Crunch Podcast, brought to you by New Zealand PR agency, HMC. Make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss our next episode. See you next time.